Father, what a wonderful time <clears throat> it is that we've had together this morning already in looking to you, having your word read to us, the account of the wonderful and amazing, unforeseen and unexpected resurrection of our Lord from the dead. And this time of singing that we've had to give a response to the revelation of Christ's work for us. <clears throat> and so it's my prayer now, Lord, as we look at your word, that you would again receive the praise and the honor and the glory that is due to your name, and that we would be encouraged and helped to understand and to perceive what it is that you have done for us in Christ. Open up our eyes, Lord, to behold wonderful things in your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it has been, uh, let me just welcome everyone this morning and say and give my personal amen to what a wonderful time of worship that we've had together today. Um, I want to start us off by sharing with you an email that I received earlier this week that I think helps prepare us well for what it is that we're going to be looking at today in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. And the email reads this, <clears throat> as the great theologian Martin Luther realized the cross is far more than a historic event, Friday through Sunday, crucifixion through resurrection. The cross is even more than what it achieved, forgiveness, atonement, salvation. The cross is revelation. That is, it reveals something of what God is like and how God works. The cross reveals that the God of the Bible is not remote or disengaged. On the contrary, the God of the Bible is the God who comes, who inserts himself right into our problem. The cross shows us that things are not always as they appear. Even when it appears that darkness and confusion reign, that God is dead and the world has won and that the situation is out of control and utterly hopeless, it is not. For deep in the darkness, God is there, doing his work, saving his people, Subverting evil and redeeming it for good and fulfillment of promise. And that's one of the things that I want for us to realize and to see today, that God is present. That God is not disengaged. He did not create the world and then step back away from it and to leave it be as it would be, but that he is actively seeing to the fulfillment of the promise that he has made to make all things new. And the resurrection of, if anything, the resurrection reminds us of that wonderful reality and truth. As the Father was afflicting the Son, as the Father raised the Son up, these are things that we think about and to know, for you to know today, beloved, that God is not disengaged, but that God is present and He is active and He is working. When things seem to be a certain way, they are oftentimes not that way. And that God oftentimes works in the background to accomplish what it is that he is doing. And so we need to be mindful of that today. The, God, the, the resurrection reminds us that God is present, and that God is real, that he is not remote or disengaged, and that he is certainly involved in not only the death, burial, and resurrection, but in the accomplishing of his redemptive work in our lives individually as well. As the scriptures that we're about to read in 1 Corinthians 15, 49 reminds us with certainty and promise that just as we share in the image of the man of dust, 
So it is, beloved, that we will share in the image of the man from heaven because he is attending to this work and he will complete what he has started. So if you would read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, just one verse for us to consider this morning, but three things that I want for us to take away from it. The promise of what it is that he will do in creating this image of the new man, the heavenly man in us, the plan that God is accomplishing and doing so and fulfilling that promise, and then the pleasure that God has in doing it, in conforming us and making us like his son. So 1 Corinthians 15, 49 reads this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The passage of 1 Corinthians 15, 49 is embedded in a larger discussion that Paul has been speaking of, rather than rather God has been speaking of to us about the reality of the resurrection of Christ and the implications of his resurrection, not just for the believer, but for all mankind. The doctrine of the resurrection is that every person will be raised. Every single person, believer and non-believer, will receive an eternal body. Those who know Christ and love Christ will be raised to receive an eternal body that will be used to spend an eternity of glory and bliss and happiness and pleasure and joy with God for all eternity. And for the non-believer, they will receive an eternal body that will be used to spend a life of separation of hell, of torment, and punishment for all of eternity. This is clearly taught in Scripture, and it is meant to, on one hand, be a great joy for the believer, and as one commentator put it, a great terror for the, for the non-believer. I was thinking, we were talking about this last night as a family. I was asking Abigail, can you think about what it means to live forever and ever and ever and ever? Try, try to begin to wrap your mind around what it is that we're talking about regarding eternity. And the fact that because God is eternal, we will never cease to know him and to grow in our knowledge of him and to love him and worship him and appreciate him. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but eternity is a really long time. And for the believer, like we get to, we, God continues to reveal himself to us progressively, eternally. We will never, for all of eternity, be able to fully grasp the character of God because he is eternal. He will eternally reveal himself to us. And there will be no growing tired or growing bored in heaven. But on the flip side, hell is eternal as well, forever and ever and ever. Those who don't know Christ and who reject him will spend an eternity in torment and punishment. And so I will make it very clear for all of those who are here today who don't know Christ by faith and by faith alone, I'm not just, I'm not just asking you to consider what we're saying this morning, I'm asking you to come. If you hear his voice calling you, come to him. 
and receive life and salvation in him because it is sure, and we know it's sure because of the resurrection from the dead. He proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has, like I said, really taken this whole chapter to talk about the resurrection. Verses 1 through 5, he talks about how the resurrection is central to the gospel message of salvation. You must believe in the resurrection of Christ in order to be saved. If you read through the book of Acts and you read through the sermons in the book of Acts, you will see the resurrection is at the heart and core of their preaching. And Paul would make that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 11, who will give proofs of Jesus' resurrection and, from him, and of him appearing to many. He'll then go on in verses 12 through 34 to talk about the fact that Christ's resurrection from the dead guarantees our positive resurrection for the believer. We look upon his resurrection and it is a guarantee for the believer in our resurrection. And then in verses 35 through 49, he talks about the physicality of the body that is raised. And in 50 through 58, he talks about what happens in the final resurrection when death is finally no more. And we get to enjoy him for eternity. We want to consider today are really the certainty of which we have in the resurrection and what it is that God is doing, not just done then, but what he is continuing to do today. First, we notice the promise of our heavenly image. He says in verse 49, just as. It communicates with certainty and with promise. He says, in just the same way that we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. As certain as you are that you can look at your physical body and feel your physical body right now with that degree of certainty, which I would imagine, if you're sitting here and you're listening, you're pretty certain that you're sitting here. You're pretty certain that you have a physical body. You're pretty certain that you have real flesh and bone and blood and, 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 and organs and things like that, unless you're, you're into some you know, um, worldly philosophy that tells you you can never be sure of what is before you and whether or not you're really here. Aside from that, if you are certain that you are a real person, you are really inhabiting that chair, it's that degree of certainty that you can know that the believer will receive the heavenly image. As certain as you know you have a physical body now that's natural, you can be certain that when Christ returns and all his people are brought and gathered back together with him, you will receive a spiritual, a new physical body. And then I'm telling you, if this is something that you know and that you grasp and you're really thinking about this and taking a hold of, it will dramatically change and affect the way that you live your life. Because the knowledge and the certainty and the promise of what it is that is to come sets you free to live the way that God calls us to live in the scriptures. Life's a, a life of selflessness. What would, what would actually motivate me to live the way, the, the radical Christian life that God wants me to live in the scripture if I'm not certain of what is to come? But the believer has absolute certainty and promise of what it is that God holds out for his people. Don't worry about your life. Because when I get, do you know who gave you your life? Me. Do you know who decides when your life will be gathered back to me? Me. So how then should you live your life every single day? In trust and obedience and faith in me. Is he not 
has, he, has God not proven himself faithful and trustworthy over and over and over again? Is he not good? Is his, is his word not true? I'm telling you, meditate and grasp the certainty of the promise that this passage gives to us. And it will free you to let go of the things of this world and of this life and to live for the glory of God. I'm telling you, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Really, the only way that that is possible to do, to even have the motivation to do that, is that you are certain of what is to come. And this passage tells us with great uncertainty of what is to come. There are other passages as well. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 would remind us of this truth as well. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's this remarkable truth that happens, this transformation that takes place in the life of the believer that right now we have this deposit. We know the Spirit of God, the Word of God is testifying within the believer to confirm to us the certainty that we are beloved God's children now. That you are not really who and fully who you are going to be when he returns or we go to be with him. We know for certain now that we are God's children and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Paul would also say to us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. Speaking of the believer, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, the promise of what it is that God is doing is not just limited to 1 Corinthians 15, 49. God repeats it throughout the scriptures. Why? Because we forget. We need a reminder of the certainty of what it is that God is doing. The promise that he is, he is in the process of remaking us. What, would, what else would Paul say elsewhere? Inward, though inward, outwardly I'm, I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. That's the reality for the believer. Herman Bavink, theologian, would say this, now that God has put aside his wrath towards us and has given us peace and love, he will preserve us through the life that Christ now has in virtue of the resurrection and in which, as their intercessor, he is busy with the Father. That Christ in his resurrection is busy with the business of the Father on your behalf. Perfecting you. Preparing you. To receive this heavenly image. If indeed you are in Christ. And not only is there the promise of him doing so, but there's a plan of our heavenly image as well. If God has made this promise, he must certainly have a plan to carry it out, and he does. The first part of that plan is to take something and make it another thing, which is what our passage reveals to us. He's taking something that currently is, and he is making it into something that is not yet, but will be when his work is completed. 
He's doing this work because he is actively tending to it in your life. He describes what it is that our image is like right now earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. He would say, beginning in verse 42, concerning this image that we have now, the image of the man of dust, it is perishable. He would say in verse 43 that it's dishonorable and weak. And then in verse 44 that it's natural. He is taking that which is incomplete, unfinished, able to stray and fit for the earth. The life that we have that's paralleled with Adam. But that he's remaking it into something else. Verse 42 would say that he's taking the perishable and making it imperishable. That what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. That which is weak right now will be raised in power. Do you feel weak? Physically, spiritually, mentally. Do you ever have those seasons where you're exhausted? The body that has to come and be raised imperishable in power and in strength and glory. And that which is natural is going to be spiritual, meaning God will have his work completed and finished, not able to stray and fit for the new earth, which is our image in Christ, the heavenly man. And the spiritual here is not opposed to the physical, but to the natural. Right now, you have a physical, natural body. Then you will have a spiritual, physical body. That's the way that 1 Corinthians describes this reality for the believer. Right now, your body is natural. It's perishable. It's fading. You're able to stray. But in that great day, it will be spiritual physical, renewed, completed, raised in power and glory, and able to dwell with him for eternity. And we know that this is true because he has a plan to carry it out. Paul would say again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, you can turn there if you want, I'm going to read it. He would say this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, God has a plan. He has given us the promises and the certainty of what it is that he's doing, but he has a plan as well. And that plan incorporates his daily and personal activity in your life. And this means that you can never separate God's his creative power and work that he's doing apart from his providence. There are two sides of the same coin. 
that which happens is that which he is providentially overseeing. It's that which he is guaranteeing to come about. And the guarantee from Scripture is that the promise will be fulfilled. And just as you have the, 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 the man of dust and you, and you parallel and look like his image now, you will put on the image of the man from heaven. He's made the promise and his plan by his providence is assuring its certainty that he will bring it about. That one day, as Scripture describes it, you will be fully clothed, not partially, fully and completely and finally clothed in imperishable, glorious power and spiritual new body of which you will enjoy relationship with him for all of eternity because of the resurrection of Christ from the grave. Not only does he have the promise and the plan, but then this, for me personally, is the one that um, I think it's hardest for me to wrap my mind around, and yet the one that I want to really throw myself into the most and to meditate upon the most is his pleasure in doing so. God doesn't just have the promise to make us in the image of the heavenly man. He doesn't just have a plan to do it, but like he actually enjoys doing it. He takes great pleasure in taking you as his child and preparing you to be with him for all of eternity. Isn't that, like, isn't that wild? I think that that's amazing. Because I will oftentimes, I, have, I will make a promise, I will keep the plan to, to, to carry the promise out, but I may not enjoy doing it. God is not like that. Like he actually takes pleasure in completing that he, the work that he has started. And we know this to be true from Scripture, Luke 12, 32. Jesus himself would say to his disciples, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves to love his people. He takes pleasure in giving his kingdom to his people. Consider Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. What God has done. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Not only does God take pleasure in showing his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you at the moment he saved you, not only does he take pleasure in doing that as he sanctifies you today, but he has done that so that he may continue to take great pleasure in doing that for all of eternity. If this doesn't warm your heart to the Lord, I mean, if this doesn't, you know, I've been talking <clears throat> for weeks now regarding this personal pursuit that I've had in enjoying God. And these, these passages have been tremendously helpful for me to enjoy him. Because I know that the scriptures testify 
that I have been raised as a child of God. Me, you, if you were in Christ, you have already been raised up in him. You have been seated with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages and what is still to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you. That, all, that, that he has prepared a place called eternity, the new heavens and the new earth, in which God fully plans to express his pleasure in showing grace and kindness upon you forever. I love the way that John Bunyan puts it. As a spirit of adoption, he told me that my sins were forgiven. That I was included in the covenant of grace, that God was my Father through Christ, that I was under the promise of salvation, that His calling and the gift of God to me are permanent. And do you think that after He told me this and sealed me up in the truth of it to my precious soul, He will come to me and tell me that I am yet in my sins under the curse of the law and the eternal wrath of God? No, no. The word of the gospel is not yea, yea, nay, nay. It is only yea and amen. It is so as God is true. The, all those moments that we feel that we struggle with the discouragement, all those moments that we feel where we, we wrestle with the, the certainty of our salvation and whether or not God is truly at work in our lives or whether or not, does he just put up with me? Does he just, is he just completing his plan because he said he would and he really doesn't want to anymore, but he has to because he's God and he's true and he's just doing it half-heartedly like we kind of do sometimes? God is not like that. That the work that he, be, he, he was pleased to begin the work, he is pleased in carrying out the work right now today, and he will be pleased when the work is finished and all of the promises in the gospel to his children are yes and amen in him. And the resurrection, it makes it certain. You see how much hope and warmth and encouragement springs out of the resurrection for the believer not just like that he has overcome the sting of death that is like a really good thing i'm happy for that that when i die or that my day is coming that i can look upon it and, and look upon it with eager expectations of receiving eternal glory and bliss i'm certainly thankful for that but you know what else the resurrection promises me his pleasure and his hand and work in my life today That there is some way in which God is so intimately acquainted with my weaknesses and my sins. And yet by his sheer grace and mercy, he doesn't look upon that and condemn me. He looks upon the work of his son that has been accomplished on my behalf. And he takes great pleasure in what the son has done my position in the Son. And because of that, he continues to, with great pleasure, work that plan of redemption out of my life, holding out the promise. Like, he didn't have to give us the promise. He doesn't even have to repeat it. For God to say one thing, one time, should be enough. But why does he repeat it? Because he's so gracious and kind and knowing our weaknesses and the ways that we struggle and the things that we forget, that he knows we need to hear it again and again and again. And this is what the scripture testifies to us. This is what it is that we look upon. You see that empty tomb. I got up this morning, was drinking my coffee. Micah comes out. First thing he says to me, Jesus is alive. And I'm like, my son. <laughs> yes, he is. 
Amen. He's alive. What a wonderful reminder it is for us in his unthinkable, immeasurable grace and mercy and kindness that he's shown to us and that he continues to show and he will show for all of eternity. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 24 was this. You ever know what Jesus wants? You ever know? You ever think about what does Jesus desire and what he wants? What does he want? I'm going to share it with you. He told me. He tells you too in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before, or that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What does he want? What does he desire? To be with him. To be with him and to see his glory because the Father has loved the Son in eternity past. And, he is, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit have set their love upon, in eternity past upon his children. Amen? The resurrection guarantees us of this. So, not only is there the promise of the res- resurrection of Christ, of our future resurrection, but also the plan of God to carry it out and his pleasure in doing it as well. The one question remains is, for the believer, so now I ask, what is the purpose in which you live your life? You think about what is the purpose of which you are inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide? Why do you live? Why do you move? What's the purpose for which you exist? The believer, our our constant goal is to to get us, to move us into that place where we say to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's the purpose. I'm praying and I'm hoping that what we have talked about this morning regarding the wonderful truth of the resurrection helps move us into that place and that we would be people who are freed to do all things for his glory. As we prepare to take communion This is a time of celebration for the believer. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you don't know Christ by faith, what I would say is, again, as I said at the beginning, don't just consider what it is that we've spoken of, but come. If you're hearing the call and the invitation to come to him and to receive salvation and forgiveness of sin, then come to him and confess him as Lord and Savior. Acknowledge your sin and find him good and faithful to forgive you. But for those of us who are in Christ, we take this table If it were possible, like, I would say run, but I'm afraid people would get hurt, so don't. But we go to the table with with hearts that are running to it, with eager anticipation and joy of partaking of what it is that we are about to partake of, because it reminds us 